Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Michael. Welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. We are here at the season finale of our Summer Impossible season talking about Barbie, the winner of our vote between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie, the 2023 film written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach and directed by Greta Gerwig. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Ryan Bittner. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. And Alex Cayotas. Hi, Ken. <laughs> um, okay, super excited to talk about this movie. Before we dive in, so yes, we are at the uh, end of our summer season, summer impossible season. It has been a blast. We had a, a vote open the whole time, essentially, and it was a fight between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie won. We're talking about it. We are going to be talking about Oppenheimer with our top-tier patrons in our film club next Saturday, so August 12th. Uh, I think that math works out. We're recording ahead of time. Uh, so excited to talk about that over there with the patrons. And so what does it mean that we did this season also? So... What it means is that we went hard for the summer. We're going to take a break for a few weeks. There's still going to be patron exclusives released. So if you still want your fix of us talking about movies and sharing thoughts and giggling, uh, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon and support us there. It's only $2 a month. Uh, any support would be very welcome. And Patreon now has a free tier where you can just join the community and we make public posts. You'll be notified of it. And so that would also be a great way for you to follow uh, what's happening in this little mini off period as we get ready to announce what our next season, when it starts and what it's about. Uh, you can be the first to know over on the Patreon. We have a pretty clear idea. We're pretty excited about it. That will be coming in the future. As long as nothing changes in yes. the world yes in the world hollywood gives us our movies god damn it <laughs> <laughs> listen solidarity with the strike absolutely and no. if we have yeah. if we all have to suffer a little bit so that everybody gets a fair deal then we will all suffer but we will complain about it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think they should still release the movies and also pay the actors and the writers how about we just do yeah. that? Yeah, let's do it all. <laughs> Everybody wins. Uh, Dune. Um, all right, so. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> Hang in there, everybody. Anyway. 
Anyway, uh, Barbie. Okay, so I had avoided all trailers. You could not avoid the marketing of this movie. So I, lo- I saw lots of pink. I knew obviously Marco Robbie, Greta Gerwig, Ryan Gosling. Um, but otherwise, I had no idea what this movie was going to be, what it was going to be about, what kind of a story could they put in a Barbie movie that was going to make sense. Uh, I, yeah, I was super confused and uh, very interested going into it. And I had so much fun in this movie. This movie yeah. is so, so good. I was truly blown away. I, it, I laughed. I cried. I felt all the emotions. I the the story that they managed to tell like really worked for me. Went to some like deep places and just had a lot of like authenticity and heart while also being super fun and funny and just an enjoyable ride start to finish. So I I was astonished by all of this. I'm so so impressed by the script and the directing and the act, like all of this just came together to create something that felt, feels to me very special and unique and kind of throwbacky in a way. Like it felt like a summer movie from like our teen years where it was just like a fun movie and it's not setting up, you know, a crazy, you know, 10 episode Avengers stuff. Like it just, it just, it, it just told a story and it's, you know, it's based on an IP, but it still felt like an original story, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a Barbie story that it's based on. Uh, so I thought it was just like incredible and I'm I'm blown away. Greta Gerwig is now three for three. That's a pretty good track record. I'm very excited about anything and everything that she does moving forward. Um, yeah, so much fun. Very interested to hear from you guys. There's some cool structural character arc things I want to talk uh-huh. about. Um, yeah, just a lot of cool stuff, but I want to hear from people. Trisha, what are your thoughts? I'm with you. I just had a, uh, I just, uh, (laughs) I was knocked over. I just loved this movie so, so, so much. I was sitting directly next to Alex. I think I probably scared Alex with how much I was laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was so funny. Um, and spoke directly to me in so many ways. I had, yeah, like you avoided the trailer. So I didn't know what it was. I had a suspicion it was going to be a fish out of water story. Um, but it was so much more than that. And I can't get over how refreshing and unique it feels like the vision behind this movie feels so singular and, just like this window being thrown open into Hollywood right now where like everything else just feels like drudgery and uh, like a a facsimile of a facsimile of a movie. And this just felt like something actually visionary and uh, original, as you said. Now, yeah, it is based on one of the most famous toys in the world. Um, And there is some like, corporate presence in the movie quite literally his name's will ferrell uh (laughs) anyway but but at the same time it feels like the only movie that you could like work with that in you know we talked a lot about um in the new or most recent matrix film how there's a lot of like textual engagement with what it means to be like a new matrix movie right now um Mm -hmm. and i felt like the Wachowskis in that movie just went ahead and didn't 
like they just didn't make a movie because <laughs> they right. didn't have to. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, but this actually feels like it is a movie, but it's also do it. It's it's such a movie and it's really telling a story and it really exists truly in its own world. Um, but also has so much to say to us in our world where it just feels like it's doing that thing at the same time where uh, there is a meta factor to it, but it's so loving and it welcomes you so much into just being the person that you are in 2023 and being in this timeline and what the hell is going on and what does it mean to sit in a movie and in this place in, in our own time and, um, and engage with some of these ideas in a fictional way, but like in a truly fictional way, um, it's, you know, this sort of fable, this beautiful pink feminist fable, um, that I just loved all the way down to its core. And, um, yeah, I can't wait. Like, I just, I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Alex, what about you? Since you were sitting next to Trisha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. yeah. I mean, Circle back. Yeah. Like this movie right from the beginning, when you go into Barbie land, just the art design is so impeccable. You can feel oh, that yeah. Greta Gerwig like kind of loves this, these toys and had these toys and has a nostalgia for like every little detail of the Barbie dream house and the costumes. And it's just such a visual delight to be in that world. So, yeah, when this movie started and just and also just her directing you know, confidence and her style and the way everything flows in that first act. I'm just like, okay, this is fantastic. I am so on board for this ride. I am so down with this movie. And as it was, you know, the, the problem arose, you know, feelings about death and cellulite and <laughs> it, all of it just felt so brilliant. The way the problem was introduced and the the kind of Toy Story-ish, you know, mm -hmm. connection to the kid and the journey to the real world. Um, Ken tagging along <laughs> and and the movie felt like it was to me. I had these expectations uh, at a certain point that this was going to be next level in its examination of uh, men and women in society, almost like in a get out kind of way. I was almost I was ready for like, oh, we're going to like new places. This is going to be like the get out. But like for women, <laughs> it was maybe like this unrealistic, like Greta Gerwig, like idea I had in my head at a certain point. And then once we got to the second half of the movie with the kingdom and the patriarchy, it was kind of the little boy version of everything. And I realized on the second viewing, that's probably quite intentional that both both Ken's journey is kind of like a little boy discovering patriarchy. We've got Barbie as the little girl discovering, oh, God, the real world sucks. Um, and it all plugs in. But in my first viewing, I was actually getting disappointed by the kind of overt and absurd versions of, you know, patriarchy and the, the kind of the solution to it at the end. I didn't quite understand like what was solved or how the just Ken song resolved things. And so there was kind of like, I, I was at a mismatch with the movie at some point where I didn't quite plug in to the exact allegory and the exact, you know, way it was conceiving of these big heady ideas. There was so crazy and amazing that Greta Gerber got this into a toy movie, into like a Mattel yeah. corporate toy movie. Right. Um, so on the one hand, it's a miracle and it's amazing and it's so brilliant and great. On the other hand, I 
had such high expectations, the mismatch of what she actually did was like bothering me. I saw it again today, knowing what it is, and it, it all plugged in so much better because I did see this movie as allegory for basically both like young boys and girls emerging from the world of toys, of like innocent childhood dream reality into the real world and like what happens then. And so I think I think it's exactly what Critter wants it to be and is doing exactly what she wants it to be. And I think there was there was an element of my first viewing and I still feel, feel a little bit that if you're gonna go all the way to Kendom and you're gonna go all the way to like your finale being the Just Ken song, I, I just didn't quite feel, I, I wanted Noah Bombach to get in there and like do a more honest, like what's wrong with men like assessment. <laughs> Whereas we got kind of like a shallow, a shallower feeling assessment that left me a little bit wanting. But everything else in the movie is just so damn good. And it's, and it, and it is such like a primal like scream. <laughs> In so many yeah. ways, that is so cathartic. And of course, summed up in that um, America Ferrera uh, monologue, monologue uh, yeah. which is so good. Mm -hmm. So the movie accomplishes so much. And it's one of those things where when a movie is this good and does this much right, when there's a part that bumps, it like bothers me more than it should. So anyway, that's my complicated feelings about this movie. <laughs> and maybe you guys can convince me that, that it's not bumpy and that I'm missing something. But that's my starting place for this conversation. All these I things. I do think it's a little more sophisticated than you're giving it credit for. Sure. But we can come yeah. back to it. Tell me yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, and and that this is a point of discussion for a toy movie, as you said. It's right. like such it's an amazing, amazing right. miracle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot to get into. Just like the assignment. Like the assignment was to make a movie for Mattel right. <laughs> about Barbie. <laughs> yeah. And Greta Gerwig like managed to do this is she amazing. Made this. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's <laughs> the highest grossing movie for a female filmmaker opening weekend ever. Like nice. yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we can get into this too, but also like it Margot Robbie as a producer, it being her project, she approached yes. like I think there's just She's a lot very of responsible really, for this. Yeah. yeah. Smart decisions that yeah, I really respect by the team working on this. Um Brian, what was your thoughts? I was sitting next to you. We giggled a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> real quick to pick it up from the point that, that was just being made. I think I have a sort of sinking feeling that happens when it's like, hey, you know that filmmaker who just made that really cool, like, you know, out of left field, interesting movie? They're now doing the next franchise, insert franchise here movie, you know? And it's like, okay, so I have to wait how many years for Barry Jenkins to make another Barry Jenkins movie because he's making the next Lion King and that mm -hmm. might be a good movie, but eh, where's my, you know? And like, man, Greta Gerwig made a Greta Gerwig movie, right? Like, like that was the mm -hmm. best thing. It's exactly what you guys are talking about. I think there was some interviewer who said, you know, oh, is this like kind of a selling out? Like, are you just doing the thing? And she's like, no, you can do the thing and subvert the thing. And like, that's exactly what she did here is she made, she, I mean, she made more of a Greta Gerwig movie than she made a Barbie movie. And like that in my mind is the best possible thing about this. And uh, to the other point you guys were making, like Mattel allowed themselves to be like the John Malkovich of being John Malkovich in this movie, right? We're like, we're mm -hmm. going to, we're going right. to play a sort of crazy version of ourselves in this movie. Um, and, uh, and I loved all that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of in terms of my actual experience with the movie, I mean, th there's no better way to see this movie than with an adorable high pitched like giggle next to you. And I sat next to Michael. So uh, that's exactly what I got for every 15 seconds. Just 
just a giggle fest. It was infectious. Um, And yeah, I mean, this movie is so fun and so smart, you know, and we talked during uh, Across the Spider-Verse, we talked about movies that are like, it's like the lines that are happening off screen between the lines are brilliant and hilarious. And it's like, if you're not paying attention, you know, (laughs) then the lines that are happening in the songs that are singing during the montage are like, they're (laughs) hilarious and like that, whatever. Um, And, and this movie is just, it's just so smart and so clever. And almost like what Alex was saying, if there's anything I bumped on, it was the times when it was being just a little goofy for goofiness sake where I was just like, oh, but like everything you are doing is so, so good that when it's just kind of being like a little wacky, I'm like, oh, this is fine. I don't dislike it at all. But, you know, this movie is not for me in terms of like tone stuff. This movie should not be for me. So if there are certain times where the tone is not like quite for me, that's I am totally fine with that because this movie is amazing. And uh, and 98 percent of the time I was just on on pink cloud nine, just really having a blast. Um <laughs> And then there's an interesting conversation to be had about, um, you guys mentioned Toy Story, but like this elf and Lego movie and Barbie, almost like sub sub genre of movie where like a this character lives in a perfect world, but like they don't know the real world exists. And then at some point, something happens in their perfect world and they have to go like synthesize with the real world. Also, Will Ferrell is always in all of those mm-hmm. movies. So it's some, <laughs> he somehow is making making right. all of this happen. Um, so, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to get into. But ultimately, it's just like I'm so happy. Um, I'm so happy this movie is what this movie is. And uh, and there's there's a lot more I want to get into later that I don't want to talk about just yet. Um, but this could have been this could have been a schlocky movie that was just for a, 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 very, a much younger audience. This could have been a movie that was sort of surface level in terms of what it was doing, you know, and the fact that it was just like, no, we're going hard and we're making an audience kind of for like 30 year olds, like 35 year old, you know what I mean? Like even like the music choices, it's like, we all know Matchbox 20 is not very good, right? Like let's all make a movie. About- How dare you? They were my favorite band in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I want to push you around. The Rob Thomas impression is unreal. It's so good. It's very, very good. Well, huh? well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, just just ton of fun. It's such a smart movie. Uh, and so like Barbie versus Oppenheimer, like these movies are so dense. Like I'm like, I think Barbie might be even more dense than Oppenheimer in terms of just me being like, I'm still unpacking things and still kind of like entire sequences where I barely remember the like meat of it because just the surface stuff was already, there was so much going on. So yeah, excited to, excited to talk about it now and excited to like watch the movie again at a later date. Wouldn't it be nice to have a curated selection of unique films from around the world, hand-selected by expert curators who are passionate about elevating great cinema? Why, yes it would, and yes it is. It's called MUBI. MUBI is a streaming service where each and every film is hand-selected. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. And here to tell us about one such discovery you can find on MUBI is our very own Brian Binder. Brian. Well, hello. 
I recently was watching uh, some uh, Ingmar Bergman films that I hadn't seen before, uh, Wild Strawberries, Cries and Whispers, and Persona, and just very interesting films that are pretty short, like 90 minutes, and just they're very dense and always just like metaphors on life. And Bergman feels like one of those filmmakers where studying his films is almost as interesting as watching them, and watching them is pretty interesting too. So there is a documentary on Mubi called Searching for Ingmar Bergman, and just a different interviews with other filmmakers and talking about Bergman and his films. And so if you, like me, are someone who is interested in Bergman and interested in, in hearing what other people have to say about his films, uh, you can check that uh, documentary out on movie. Very nice. Yes. And you can do so because with a free 30-day trial, you can experience Movie's entire library of films for yourself. And by signing up, you're also supporting Beyond the Screenplay and helping us to continue to make new episodes. So why not try Movie for free today? Just head to movie.com slash beyond the screenplay to start your free trial and discover a whole world of great cinema. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay. Thank you to Movie for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the question of audience is really interesting because I think it, it is clearly made for adults to be able to appreciate, but I think it's also made for like teens and tweens Definitely. to appreciate. And so I think anytime there were these kind of moments that were sort of like hovering around, that's like, oh, this doesn't, this feels maybe more like reductive than I would like it to be. I felt like it was always in the service of the theme and being very clear about the meaning behind right. it being accessible, like universally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, we can talk about all that more. This movie is so smart. And Brian, I think you said that there was an interview where she said, well, yeah, you can do the thing and subvert the thing. And my, the first thought I had was like, no, you can do that. Greta Gerwig. <laughs> like that is not an easy thing to achieve and pull off here and coming out of it and, and watching it. I, I felt like, and I still haven't put my finger on it. I'm going to find the screenplay at one point and, and break it down all the way. But there's, I think, like a new archetypal story structure that's like emerging for me in this in this movie. As far as like a modern take on character arcs and antagonists and how you want to express modern themes that I think movies have tried to do. Like I think there's kind of a... a Disney performative version of, you know, modern morality that gets expressed on a surface level uh, in some of the recent outings. But I feel like this movie earns all the ups and downs and all of the, you know, Ken goes all the way to antagonist, but like is then saved and kind of like finds his own place. The way this movie pulls all of that off, I just totally bought and totally uh I was on that ride and it felt organic and it felt emotional at every step and and authentic and viewed with eyes open. And so I'm just kind of blown away by the architecture of the story and the journey that it takes all the characters on. Yeah, I was stunned when I realized that Ken was getting a character arc as well. Mm. It was not at all what I expected when the movie began. Um, and it, even though... I think the structure of this is flawless. Um, And that includes like setting up Ken's arc from like the very first few minutes of the movie, because, you know, it's all there. And I'm sure Alex, having watched it twice, you were able to appreciate that even more in the first act. Um, But it just like, you know, at first when I watched it, 
the moments with Ken that become of great importance later um, didn't immediately announce themselves to me as being about Ken. And because they announced them, they're also about Barbie. And that is such a feat. Like they, if you, if you're going into this, just tracking Barbie's character arc, those scenes are so efficient that they're, they feel absolutely full to the brim of stuff for Barbie, but they're also doing stuff for Ken as well, setting up his entire arc and the sort of secondary thematic exploration of how patriarchy harms men. And then like, what do we do about that in terms of gender roles? Um, and so I was just so impressed by that when I was thinking back on it, you know, there's, there are really these two moments at the Barbie dream house um, scene where they're having the big party there and Barbie has her, do you guys ever think about dying <laughs> moment? Um, which is great. I was so, I was so happy in that moment. That was the first so time amazing. the movie was like, Hey, we're going to do stuff. Yeah. And I didn't know that was coming. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that is very clearly like, here we are at the inciting incident, you know, and I didn't look at my watch, but I was like, I bet you this is on page 15 of the screenplay. I'm desperate to read this screenplay, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, but then the scene right after that, you know, Ken tries to dance to get Barbie's attention. It doesn't really work. Um, that happens. The scene right after that is when he tries to stay over and she tells him it's girls night. And there's this very specific rejection that's happening um, that immediately sets up his arc. But the way that those scenes kind of fit together at the end of that day, right? Like it's sort of the perfect, here's the world as the characters know it. Here's all the different dynamics that are in play and, and blah, blah, blah. In addition to the best production and costume design you've maybe ever seen ever. Um, and these incredible sets and all this stuff. Um, and then here are these very definitive character moments for Barbie, there's this work that's being done for Ken as well. So that when it, when his story starts to emerge in the second act and you get into like, I'm just going to pop into the library here and see what books they have about cars or whatever it is that he's looking. He's like, I'm just going to see if they have any book about <laughs> yeah, trucks. trucks. <laughs> um, oh, it's so good. But yeah, it's, it's very much like that's kind of been there all along. Um, it's very deft structure work. Yeah. That really struck me the the sort of the two story worlds in this movie and how they're each constructed for for the two obviously genders being represented in this movie, which which is like let's imagine a world where women have like all the power and men are sort of okay with it question mark but like maybe not and then they see the real world where for Barbie it's like this crisis of oh wait this is how like women are actually treated in the real world. But then also for Ken is like, wait a minute, we can have power. Like that's possible for us to have power. And then that's what starts his sort of antagonist arc there, you know? So I, I thought it was a really, really smart way to sort of make the, the Barbie verse be like this mirror reflection of, of the real world. Well, something that watching it a second time, the layers of this film became more clear to me and they were so impressive where you've got this kind of, you know, it's not well-defined uh, rules of the universe where these are, these are 
correlates of dolls in the real world, maybe uh, that, you know, if, if you get cut up and, you know, smashed around, you become weird Barbie. Um, but it's so brilliant watching those early scenes and just thinking about this, the way these characters behave in Barbie land is, you know, it, it, there's a Toy Story element to it where a little girl playing with Barbie wants to have the Barbie girls night sleepover party. She does not know what Ken would do if he were there. So Ken <laughs> is going to leave now because we're having girls night. And I think that it's, it was so much fun to see how the meta remembering of what it was like to play with toys, what little girls actually do with their Barbies as part of the story world as fueling the conflict <laughs> with Ken, which is just so brilliant how many layers are at work in every part of this movie. And I really appreciated that in the first act this time around. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really smart decision to open it in Barbie world, right? Because, and, and without explaining the rules to uh, an unnecessary degree, because we, in order for the story to work, we absolutely have to think of Barbie as being a person essentially with agency. So when Barbie doesn't know what's going wrong with her or when she makes any decision, we need to, it's critical that we as the audience see that as being an autonomous decision that she is making, right? Like, so her decision not to want to have Ken stay over has to come across as Barbie is making this decision herself and or, you know, doesn't care when Ken gets hurt when he runs into the plastic wave on the beach. Um, or doesn't, you know, just wants to dance, except when she has that moment when she thinks about death. And so, like, it's absolutely necessary for the character journey for her to have sentience. And tipping your hand at all by engaging with the human person behind it would destroy that. It, it is a Toy Story problem or, like, a Toy Story analogous to that sort of an idea like we can't we can't think too much about Andy right like because Andy in the Toy Story universe would ruin everything if we actually if we actually stopped and thought about him for 10 seconds uh, <laughs> and what his real relationship is to the personality of Woody or Buzz right. or something like that right um and so the fact that we do end up meeting Sasha and her mother later um it's wise to save that because the first act of the movie has to be rock solid as being about the characters' journeys, which means they have to be characters, you know, in in the traditional sense. And I think yeah. what's great is that, yeah, I, I never think, even when, when you learn some of the hazy rules, I never think that anybody's ever controlling Barbie, but I love that the values of the world are the values of like a young, bright girl who thinks the world is amazing and has a collection of all the Barbies living the perfect world. And I think that is right. what is so kind of beautiful about Barbie land is that there's an innocence and like an optimism and like a, just a kind of, yeah, it's a, it's like a really excited about life and the future and anything's possible, which is part of the Mattel Barbie dream being sold, but is also a real experience for the kind of like post tragedy <laughs> young girl, <laughs> you know, pre you know, being looked at as Barbie gets looked at as when she enters the world pre like realizing, oh, wait, there is no woman president. There is no, you know, the, the people that are in power are not me. And I think it's just it's beautiful that Barbie land seems to embody that innocence, that yeah. kind of pre realizing innocence. Exactly. I really like that Barbie land goes on a journey also, like I, I was thinking about yeah. Groundhog Day as a movie that we sometimes mm -hmm. cite where the 
the protagonist is clearly flawed and really doesn't want to change. And the movie doesn't like try to paint over that or try to like make you too much get on his side. Like, I, I think that's a I think the refusal of the call, quote unquote, is a beat that should be strong and underlined. And, you know, the character doesn't want to change because the world that they're living in in this normal world is so perfect for them and isn't reinforcing their lie, quote unquote, flaw, quote unquote. So I really like the Barbie doesn't want to change at first because like mm. this world is perfect. Why would you want to change? And like we even I love that scene with Kate McKinnon uh-huh. where she like the shoes. The shoes like so like that's hilarious. But it's also like a very clear, like a very, very clear refusal of the call. No, I would I choose that too. I want to go back to like, no, you have to. Sorry, you're doing this wrong, Barbie. You're like the protagonist of our story. You have to change. Like I loved all that because I, I feel like it it pulls me into her world and makes her feel like an honest person. Again, like that that making her feel human with agency. Of course you wouldn't want to leave her change. Everything's perfect. And so I like that then also by the end, you know, Ken takes over, things go crazy and things go back to the way they were kind of, but like with a little bit of like tweaks to it where like the Kens have a little bit more you know, feeling of purpose. They apologize to weird Barbie for calling her a weird Barbie. Like there's a little bit of like maturing that happens even in, in Barbie land that kind of pushes it a little bit more toward equality. And it's, it's like a subtle change, but I like that Barbie land goes on that journey partially because that also means we get to spend more time in Barbie land. And I just love Barbie land because it's so much fun. It was sad to leave. Yeah. That to me is maybe the most interesting thing about this movie. And I was having a hard time finding another movie that really, uh, that it really reminded me of where ordinarily, you know, you have the inciting incident, the call, right. And you have the refusal of the call, as you point out, and then you have the departure and, you know, you go it as you move into the break into two in the second act. And, and ordinarily that's, in my notes or like in my outline structure in my head, that's why I call that the point of no return, right? Like you, or the end of the world as we know it is another great way to think about that. And it usually, it's usually a physical leaving of a place and never to go back there until the very end of the movie. And so the fact that we don't spend that much time, the bulk of the second act, I guess, in the real world, but the whole third act is in Barbie land. Um, It's not just like a little coda at the end where she goes back or something. Mm That was a hard time. I had a, a hard time thinking of a comp for that in my mind, but it works really well here for all the reasons that you're pointing out. Like we go back there basically at the midpoint. Ken goes back right. there and then we see what has happened uh, upon his return. It's ordinarily because, as you're saying, the the world at the beginning of the story is so comfortable for the protagonist. So to return to it, it has to have had a makeover in order for it to work structurally and thematically. And so it's brilliant. And also, yeah, yeah, it gives the production design again, like this chance to really shine. And, and it kind of, it kind of answers the prompt of the movie in a very, you know, in almost a meta way, where it's like, I don't want to watch a movie where 90% of it takes place in my world. I want to watch a movie where much more of it takes place in this incredibly designed plastic Barbie world that just looks so good and fanciful and, and like this big, you know, cake essentially. And 
it, it really speaks to, I don't know, this longing that you have to like the escapist piece, but at the same time is doing all the structural things it needs to be doing. Yeah, exactly. A thousand percent to the point where like when they, when I realized they were going to the real world, I was like, oh, now we're going to be stuck in the real world until the third act. So that when we got, yeah, so smart to do it because you get the fun. But like you're saying, it's also doing exactly the thematic story work that needs to happen. And again, I, I was also struggling to, are there any other movies that do it like this? I don't know. But learn, everyone, this is right. a good example. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think I think it, you know, I'm going to bring it back again to the to the Spider-Verse conversation and the sort of the meta-modern, you know, thing of just mm -hmm. like the, the, the smart movies these days, not all of them, but like, but like a lot of movies that are sort of trying to be a little subversive right now are saying, you know, you've seen this already, so you don't need to see it again. You know, so I had that sinking feeling when they were going to the real world and then Will Ferrell and the corporate guys wanted to like get them. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do this for the next 45 minutes. And then we didn't, you know, like even the bad guys closing in was like just funny, goofy, like side comedy almost, you know what I mean? Um, and it's one thing if it's like, I, like I always, I always refer to like, even when I was a kid, I, I hated the sort of like checking in with the bad guys scenes of movies because they were just like so bland and like dark. And I was just like, no, I just want to watch like, I don't know, the Adams Family hang out for a while or whatever. I don't need to see this. Um, and then there's movies like Dark Knight or Black Panther where it's like, oh, no, checking in with the bad guy is like sometimes like just as good as the rest of the movie. Um, but in this one, I was like, oh, I don't need to see like a whole act of running around the real world and what's like how what kind of shenanigans are they getting into and here come the back and then the movie knew i didn't want to see that and then it brought it back into barbie land and then we got this third act that was like so interesting and so um unique as we're talking about to to this movie you know um and then talking about the sort of the the character who the character is in the first act it's funny because on the day we're recording this i watched uh stranger than fiction and up in the air um and very interesting both examples of protagonists who have a very clear this is what i do every day like scenario you know sort of like my day-to-day -day routine life um just like barbie Except in Stranger Than Fiction, Will Ferrell's character is miserable and like wants to change that. He's just doing it because he doesn't really know anything else. And he's sort of waiting for something to come along and bring him out of it. In Up in the Air, uh, Ryan Bingham, uh, George Clooney's character, is convinced that this is perfect for him. you know. And then Barbie almost is this middle thing where it's like there is no other option, right? It's just, it's like, it's, I mean, kind of like Elf, kind of like the Lego movie. It's like you have these characters who don't even understand that there is another way to live your life because they are sort of, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated into the society that this is the only thing that it is. So you might love every day of your life, but you might not realize that you would appreciate learning about the real world, learning about other things, learning about things that would then make you be able to experience a more full and rich life. And of course, in Barbie land, a society that is more fulfilling for everybody, because there are people in Barbie land who are sort of maybe not the happiest, you know, including weird Barbie. Uh, and, and there's sort of like a synthesis needed for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that as we get into the second act, I love that the movie early, even early, early in the second act, it resists the temptation to waste a lot of time on a bunch of shenanigans. Right. Like there are some shenanigans, like the fish out of water stuff that I was talking about. Um, you know, there are some like 
similar to how in Elf, right, he goes to New York City and nothing makes sense and he makes a bunch of crazy decisions and gets hit by a taxi and eats a bunch of gum and vomits in a trash can <laughs> and all these things. Like, they're all really funny. Um, but, like, typically you get a montage of, like, the shenanigans of the fish that's out of water. And it's just sort of a lot of hitting the same narrative beat over and over again. Right. But in the first half of the second act of this, there's so much more jammed in there in terms of themes. Like the movie isn't just doing shenanigans um, and hitting the same narrative. Isn't it weird that Barbie's in the real world? She doesn't understand paying for clothes or <laughs> construction <laughs> workers. Like it's it, instead of just making those jokes and spending time on those jokes, there's also real thematic work that's happening. Yeah. I was really struck by the scene with her talking to the elderly woman at the mm. bus stop. So beautiful. Yeah. But even before she stops and looks at that woman and, and has that moment where she realizes, oh, mortality mm. and also beauty, right? As things change, right? Change is actually beautiful um, in its own way. And this, you know, the poignant aspects of what being real or that would open up to her. Even before that moment, she sits there and she breathes, right? And she looks at the trees and she sees nature and the natural world. And there's, there are these sort of thematic layers to what happens in a, a normal, you know, I think the beat is sometimes called fun and games, right? Like mm -hmm. in the first half of that first act. And this movie doesn't waste any bit of its narrative real estate. It's packing stuff in, um, even when it is also being funny and hitting the fun and games beats. Yeah. The, the, I read a, um, a interview with Greta Gerwig where she was saying, you know, there was a lot of conversation about like, let's, what can we trim to make sure the movie is short enough and, and well paced and everything. And there was a conversation about maybe we could trim that scene with, with the woman on the, <laughs> on, you know, at the bus stop and Greta Gerwig said, if we trim that scene, I don't know what this movie's about. Good for her. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Just oh, so executives. <laughs> I don't even think it was necessarily anyone saying like, you have to cut this scene as much. It was just sort of like, what about this scene? What about the, just that kind right, of thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and she realized, she almost realized like in the edit, like, oh wait, this is, this scene is like the thematic core of my movie. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, the part of, there's so much going on in this movie and there's this layer that's almost just kind of transcendent about just being alive and yeah. the beauty and sadness and joy and everything of just being alive and being a human. And it's so, yeah, it's amazing that once again, the Barbie movie goes to these transcendent places at a few different points, including the ending. Um, and part of that also layers in with that kind of journey from childhood to adulthood as well. You know, that's part of the growing up and your consciousness expanding and realizing just all the facets of life, not just the kind of happy childhood bubble that you were in and, and accepting it and wanting it and moving forward into it and going to the gynecologist eventually, if you're a woman, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I really, really plugged into me this time, you know, just like this movie is, in so many ways about a girl becoming a woman and like the, yeah, the awakening from the innocence of childhood into the real world. And, and it includes the almost like the spiritual existential layer of all that, which is, well, crazy. 
<laughs> Once again, the Mattel Barbie movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the ending of this movie being like, I want to not know what I want to do next. And I want that to be OK. Like, I need that to be, you know, right. what's going on. Thematically, it reminds me a little bit of Soul, which we've talked about. Yes, before. I was thinking about Soul. Um, but yeah, I think there's this dual like sort of, uh, themes here that I think are intimately connected, but it's not just gender roles, right? And what do we do with that? With the fact that there is historical, um, very deeply entrenched oppression and imbalance in the way that men have treated women from very, very early in uh, human history. So there's that. Uh, but then there's also, we have to, Barbie herself has to go on this journey of choosing to live, not just in a world where oppression is real, but in a world where death is real. There's a very existential question as you're pointing out, Alex. And so those themes, you know, are intimately connected in the way that the character arcs are eventually explored. Um, but again, going back to that scene at the bus stop, you can't just have Barbie going like, those construction workers said nasty things to me and Ken going like, patriarchy, horses, trucks. <laughs> you can't only have that, or I guess you could, but it would really diminish what this movie is capable of exploring. And so I'm so, so, so happy that the ending of the movie goes to where it goes with Barbie sitting there realizing, okay, you know, choosing all of this like life in its complexity. It's not just about being a woman, but it's about choosing human to be a human and to be a person that eventually will die, but is going to have these other experiences that are richer in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it all ties in with a, a really strong theme I got from the movie, which is it, you know, we're engaging with this symbol of womanhood of you know Barbie as like this ultimate pop culture symbol of a woman and like, can women just be a person? <laughs> can women just, can you just yeah. be a person who is alive and complicated and you're just a person and all these contradictory images and like symbols and memes and can you just be a freaking person? And I think that's also what feels so honest and beautiful about that existential layer. I love how feminists have just been screaming women are people into <laughs> right. the void for hundreds right. of years and men somehow still find that really threatening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I mean, there's so many great lines in this, but one of the, you know, I, I don't know if it's, I can't remember exactly if it's part of the America Ferrera uh, kind of monologue about it, but just like talking about all the the different pressures and things that people project onto Barbie and like, and that's a yes. toy. Like that's just a sim, like that's not even a, right. like that was really powerful to me. And then the Ruth character, like I, I think the, the supporting characters yeah. in this movie, I think are yeah. really artfully designed and utilized. But introducing Ruth at the midpoint as Barbie's kind of like scurrying away and like gets a like a moment of refuge and kind of gets like a little hint of the truth, like all good midpoints should do. It's beautiful. Uh, but then all of that coming back to, you know, they she changes Barbie land and Ken is kind of healed and everyone kind of gets, you know, evolves and synthesizes lessons and moves forward. But I love as we're talking about that Barbie's journey goes even a step further to this kind of human thing. And I I think my favorite line is from that Ruth character saying, like, 
we make up things like patriarchy and Barbie to deal with the uncomfortableness of being human. And like that to me just felt like that transcendent extra layer that we're talking about of like, we're not. All this is made up. Yeah, (laughs) all this is made up and it's, I don't want to say like, and we're not just dealing with this thing or that thing because these are extremely important things, but it's, we're, we're dealing with the lack of equality in our society and we're dealing with the root of all of that is this uncomfortable thing that is being human, which is something that we all share. And like that the movie is able to go like ascend all the way to that height while not like misstepping or misfiring and being like, like treating everyone like well and without malice while dealing with all these messy themes is again, just the crazy impressive I think to tell a story, balance all these things, make such a powerful statement and do it with like humility and love is like, I don't know, it's insane. This movie mm-hmm. is insane. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, I think the first thing, Michael, you said to me when, when the credits rolled was, I want to know how this movie happened. <laughs> like, what was the the conversation that like <laughs> turned into this? Right. Because um, I was thinking about... Um, when we talked about everything everywhere all at once, we talked about um, the daughter and and the mother character, you know, Evelyn, uh, and, and how like, oh, it would have been nice to have like a little more time with them uh, to, to sort of really establish their relationship, really establish the themes before we then get into everything. Um, and I was feeling that a little bit with the daughter character um, in, in this movie where I was like, oh, she has like this such a strong, she's like such a strong anti kind of Barbie presence in the first, in the first act. And then of course she is the one who says we have to go back to, to, to Ken land and, and, you know, um, uh, Kendom uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, save her like, like, I like that she has that moment, but I was like, I wanted more, I almost wanted more conflict from her as the voice of like, no, we shouldn't support this idea that is this sort of this impossible image, right? This thing that we've been talking about for decades of like magazines and dolls are like saying like, here's how, you know, women should be and here's how everyone should be and like, here's how to act. And I kind of wanted that daughter to be more of a like a constant conflict throughout the movie about that and then have her sort of change be earned as the as the thematic conversation like kind of grew to a head by the end. Um, but it just felt like one of those things where she just, the movie needed her to switch gears so that she could kind of be present in the second half of the movie. So the movie just made her switch gears. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's fine. I, uh, but I kind of wanted more pushback from her, but I also wonder on a meta level, if that was Mattel being like, let's not have the movie, let's not have a character yelling about how like maybe Barbie's not the best image to be putting out there to the world for, for half the movie or something. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that. That's a really good point that that might be a, a, compromise with Mattel because I actually read that they were not comfortable even with her initial monologue at Barbie at the school. Mm. Like, like Greta had to fight for that. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, having a character trashing Barbie in the movie was already disc, you know, a, a point of discomfort for Mattel. But I agree with you, Brian. I think that's where there was some stuff in the second half of this movie that didn't feel pitch perfect to me. And her character was one of them where I thought, yeah, she was a really strong, part of this character web where she's bringing the kind of anti-corporate 
um, perspective, which maybe is not possible to have too strong in the corporate movie. Um, but I thought it, it'd be interesting to see her go on more of a journey as they go into Barbie land, as they fight back against Kendom, where she understands the true meaning of Barbie, you know, that Mattel wants us to now have. Um, and, and, you know, but like earn it. Whereas I think in the movie, there's just so much being packed in here. There's not time for all these different subplots to have their, their full due. But I did notice that it was kind of like all she really needed was to go on the cool, you know, cars and boats. And she's like, hey, this is pretty cool. And like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. You have your own house. And like, that's pretty cool. That thing's neat. And then she's kind of just good with Barbie land, um, which didn't feel like the character I had met in the school. So I agree that it, it happens quickly and that she's an interesting character. And thus, like, I would have loved more time with her and for her. I think what worked for me was that her the reason she voices for changing and saying that we want to go, you know, we got to go back is that she sees how her mother is behaving and that it's like all of this has brought out the true like woman inside her mother. Mm -hmm, and right. she says, yeah, something about like, it, you know, let you be like the true like weirdo that you are. Right. And so it, if you have to have a quick change, it felt like a motivation that cut straight to like the theme for all of it. And it, it, I bought that meaning for it of like, maybe she doesn't believe in Barbie and now she's going to walk around wearing pink, but she sees how important this is to someone she loves and how it lets them be their true self. And so I'm on this ride to support, because she's in a lot of ways the most put together and like even keel person in the right. movie. Like she knows right. who she <laughs> is and she's like just trying to like help everyone deal with their stuff. Uh, so yeah, I, I like that it was at least in support of something that felt earned to me and established with the mom character. Yeah. And, and, and to be clear, her character is there in service of Gloria, of the mom character, right? Who is sort of like the thematic core of this movie in a lot of ways. That's what I was going to say, which is that I think you're presented with this challenge of, okay, so the plot is Barbie has to go into the real world and meet the girl who's playing with her in order to whatever, um, fix the space time continuum, et cetera. Um, but what you want to do in order to be even handed as well as expressing, you know, some complexity to this idea of Barbie and her influence on the world historically is you kind of have to have multiple women with a variety of relationships with that idea. And so what you give us is this mother daughter story and, it is certainly uh, the mother-daughter relationship and that story is very tertiary to the rest of like Barbie's arc, Ken's arc, all of this stuff. But I do appreciate the note that Sasha brings to this. Um, and I think it just, again, the way that it adds dimension to different women and probably women split along generational lines, let's be honest, are going to have different relationships with this idea of womanhood. And not just this particular idea, Barbie, but ideas throughout history of what womanhood is and different expectations that have been placed on women throughout history. So Sasha, as a modern teenager, again, is very put together and knows who she is and isn't uh, 
grappling with the same pressures that her mom was facing. And Barbie, when her mom was young, provided like an outlet for her, all of her angst probably, or even just her hopes and fears and dreams about womanhood. Um, she meant something different. Womanhood meant something different when the America Ferrer character was young in the movie. And so having a modern teen say, okay, this doesn't mean that much to me, or maybe my idea of womanhood has evolved. But at the same time, I am part of this story. I am part of the evolving story of feminism. I'm part of the evolving story of womanhood. Um, and not excused from its effects, right? The real world is still not perfect for Sasha either. And Barbie has not fixed it, as we find out very harshly. Um, and neither has Sasha's generation inherited, like, some kind of, you know, magic wand that's going to correct everything. Even if Sasha's all the way put together, that doesn't necessarily mean that young women all over the world are all the way put together um, or that there isn't still oppression going on. And so I really appreciate that note. I do think it is probably, you know, not the strongest beat in the movie or whatever. Um, and you could have made more of a meal of it if you had more time. Um, I don't know if you need to have made more of a meal out of it, though, considering the other themes that the movie is exploring. Yeah. Yeah, I did have a sense of like, I'm uh, I'm glad that the movie, the pace of the movie, it was so good, right? Yeah. So there were definitely times where I was like, oh, I would have maybe liked a little bit more there. Maybe like with Ken, there are moments where I would like more, but also I'm just like, I'm just so entertained from every moment that it's like, we're not, we don't have to slow down too much to do that. It's like the first movie under two hours I've seen in years. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And also, sorry, I just want to also praise that a big part of the gender role sort of patriarchy problems that the movie does contextually engage with or textually engage with. A lot of those are perpetuated by women, right? Against other women. And so we don't see a lot of pressure coming from her mother onto Sasha to be X, Y, or Z kind of woman. But just having a woman on woman, especially an intergenerational relationship in the real world, I think is important in order for it to feel like it's a real conversation about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, that's what's so impressive to me about this movie is that they're you know, the, toward the end, again, Ruth, who just like spits gems every time she speaks, is like, <laughs> you know, talking about like ideas are powerful and can kind of like outlive us all. And then that sets up Barbie to be like, I don't want to be the idea. I want to be like the dreamer. Like, oh, I love I love that line. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. And like both of those statements are like true and powerful. And there there's a meta thing happening here. If we put on our cynical corporate hats of like branding let's make let's change what barbie means and now it means this thing this is a very smart move by Mattel. Yes. Right. yeah <laughs> but i also think like i like that this movie finds the honesty with that too of like what barbie means and has meant like has changed and can change and it is a venue through which people can see themselves or see the world and so it, i also like that the america Ferrera character sort of used Barbie as like a creative outlet, like imagining different Barbies. It's sort of, a, mm -hmm. it was just cool to see kind of to your point, Trisha, like different, different relationships with this symbol and how that's what symbols like are useful for in society and in movies. And 
uh, yeah, just a lot of really smart navigating the meta-ness, but also finding the heart and reality at the center of it. Um, and going back really quickly to the production design and costume, hair and makeup, all of that stuff, the scene where Gloria has that whole long monologue, the thing that I noticed most about that scene was that Margot Robbie's not wearing any makeup in mm -hmm. that scene. Mm -hmm. And... She still looks radiant, like so much so that I, I suspect that they had that had to write that line that Helen Mirren says that line, the narrator yeah. introduction, interjection, yeah. the best like, <laughs> moment in the movie. It's like, no, to the producers, Marco Robbie is the wrong person to cast if you are trying to make this point. Um, but they, you know, they did it. I assume there's none or very, very little makeup on her face in that scene. And as we said earlier, it doesn't worry about the rules like in Barbie land, how does Barbie change clothes? Is like, does her face always look one certain way? What is makeup? If she can't drink anything, how does she <laughs> change her hair? You know, it, it doesn't get into all of that or why in that scene we see this completely like, you know, vulnerable, raw version of her as raw as we, as we can. But it it's doing all of those choices in service of these themes that it's exploring. And so it isn't just doing them in the dialogue or in the structure, the plot beats, the character work as we've been highlighting, but it does it all the way down at every level, um, these themes. And that's when a movie just really shines for me is when I can look at the image that I'm being shown on the screen of Margot Robbie's unmade up face as Gloria is giving this monologue about the impossibility of what it is to be a woman. And both of those images, the image along with the text is doing the theme together in a more powerful way than either one of them could do by themselves. Mm. Yeah. Good directing. <laughs> that is how you make a good movie. So I am curious to talk about what I brought up at the beginning, which is the Ken of it all and the okay. Ken and the Kendom of it all and and how that all went down and, and how his story was resolved. Go to therapy, Ken. <laughs> that's kind of how it, it is resolved. Sure, it's that's true. I mean, I, I think I think the movie it feels so honest in Barbie's story. Like every everything we're talking about, deeply honest and authentic, and like, oh my God, you're actually like getting at the things like in a way that only you could Greta Gerwig. And I think I was wanting to feel that way about if you're going to have an arc for Ken, I was wanting to feel that same like deep authenticity with his arc. But I personally didn't resonate with it in the same way where I it did feel more silly and dopey and like cartoonish. And even the, you know, it's a big thing in musicals to use a musical number to resolve an arc or to kind of like take someone from one place to another. But I, I couldn't really parse how his musical number did that or where he ended. And I think what I got from the second viewing was what I was mentioning earlier, which is his version of patriarchy is very silly because it is like a little, little boy like version of patriarchy and his journey is almost kind of like mommy issues or kind of something where it's like he's not he's not differentiated from his like maternal figure and he needs to become like his own person it was kind of what i was getting by the end of he needs to just like form an identity um but i think when i mentioned get out earlier i think 
the reason why Get Out is one of my favorite movies of all time is that it engaged with racism in this like very of the moment way where it, you know, it was getting at a liberal racism. It was getting at this, hey, we've actually we're, we're done with racism. We elected Obama and, you know, we have all these kind of like cultural lies we tell ourselves about like what we are now. Aren't we so great? But actually, it's deeply uncomfortable to be a black man in the situation. And I think I was a little disappointed that we weren't engaging with patriarchy in in that way or I wasn't feeling it in the Ken storyline. It felt more like a cartoon. Not that there is not outrageously absurd you know, misogyny online in our, in our culture still. Talking about Barbie, for one. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> yeah. this is just me like in my bubble of my world and my friends wanting to explore that. And maybe that doesn't need to be explored in a broad movie. I think it might be more of a takedown of straight patriarchy, Alex. <laughs> I was going to say, I yeah. think as a, I agree that it felt like silly and reductive and juvenile, Yeah. but also like where, where it ends up where it's sort of like, can you need to like kind of figure out who you are detached from me like right. it definitely resonated with heterosexual okay. teenage Michael, <laughs> yes. whose definition of self-worth was whether or not the girl liked him or not. Like, right, right. I think yeah. that's right. a big thing with yeah. heterosexual men of just like, I need to be validated by you, your object girl mean, make my life mean thing. <laughs> right, uh, right. And I think that's what that's getting at. And I think hits the nail on the head there at the end. Right. Yeah. I was sitting next to my best friend and the minute that Ken was like, can I stay over? Cause we're boyfriend, girlfriend. And she was like, no girls. And he was like, Oh, and then the minute that like that scene was over and then he was like, I'm going to go discover patriarchy now. She was like, Oh, so Ken's just an incel now. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, because his journey is specifically framed as being in the context of desiring Barbie to define him, right? Helen right. Mirren's character, the narrator, says in the text, right. Barbie has a good day every day. Ken only has a good day if Barbie looks at him. Right. Um, and so, Alex, perhaps you have never felt that, <laughs> per se. Um, yeah, th that's a de deficiency in my life experience of not having sure. that specific problem with women. Yeah. But it is a very real way that patriarchy harms men. Um, mm. And poisons male-female relationships um, mm. in the real world. Because, you know... There is this mommy sort of issue where women part, who are partners to straight men are expected to fulfill like mothering responsibilities to them as well as being their partners. Right. Um, and it's a really like, again, there are I, I wish that relationships were free of that underlying current in the in our modern era, but they are not. And so Barbie going like, yeah, I can't be all of these things for you, Ken. Sorry, bye. Not even horses or golf or whatever you want to do can be those things for you. You need to mm -hmm. figure that out. Go to therapy, Ken. Um, that actually is a revolutionary thing to say to somebody in that position. And real quick to bring all this together, I mean, I, I think it's a little, Alex, 
what you are thinking about with Ken is a little bit what I was thinking about with the daughter character, which is like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if there was maybe explored into like a little bit deeper? And Michael, a point you were saying earlier on, it's just like, we're talking about this with the Barbie movie that <laughs> someone made, right? Like we're like, right. hey, wouldn't it be nice if these like incredibly rich and sort of um, – of the time and dense, you know, subject matter. Wouldn't it be nice if like it was even more deep and even more rich and even more, it's like, well, we got, hopefully, you know, we can do that later. Right. It's just like the fact that this movie is doing so much sometimes at the cost of like certain, certain character arcs or storylines feeling like a little bit thin is like incredible. Like how we just like need to take a, a second to celebrate that. Right. That that's what this movie is. <laughs> this movie is something where we are going into these like really deep nooks and going like, oh man, this could have been a little more fleshed out. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? You got this movie. I will say, Alex, though, a little bit to your point, the movie does dunk on men here and there in a way that is pretty obvious and reductive. It's silly. It's it it's I me. Mean, it's funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There are some easy dunks on men here. The Matchbox Twenty of it all. Is it pretty easy? I mean, dunk? I love that stuff. I mean, the whole my favorite sequence was the tricking the men sequence where it's right. like the Godfather example. The like right. that so funny. that was getting into kind of the into the more get out territory that I was talking about. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of I think I think it was the the bigness of the horses and the literal like <laughs> get me a brewski and like that yeah. it was so silly that it was kind of not as um yeah it, it, it didn't get into like an of the momentness that those other examples a hundred percent went went into which right. i so loved and i love the whole mm-hmm. sequence where they're all singing in unison <laughs> on the yeah. beach it's so great and i think i get like to kind of to your point brian like this is a a movie that needs to make a lot of money. It's for a lot of people. There's a lot of kinds of men out there. And so while we may giggle at the jokes about the Godfather and Universal City has it all figured out, like there's LA <laughs> like jokes. Century City. Century yeah, City. Century yeah, sorry. City. Sorry. That makes a lot more sense. Um, anyway, I, I feel like those things that might seem foreign to us may not feel as foreign to other people would right. be my instinct. Um, and, and again, I love that this movie cares enough to even spend time and go there and give like a nice honest message to like young men also of like yeah go go figure out who you are like the way that like like all these characters need to find out who they are as like humans like the other side of barbie as an object is that it is there to be looked at by somebody else and that is also indoctrinating behavior and a mindset and so like i like that this movie takes the care to look at both sides of those things and give life lessons to everybody. That's, it's quite a feat. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from Barbie? Brian, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. Um, I have two mini lessons before my main lesson. One of which is Margot Robbie, uh, who yep. like at 33 has maybe the best career anyone's ever had already. Like, it's <laughs> just like wow. Scorsese, Tarantino, like just all over the place uh, and just like knocks it out of the park every single time and can like do anything like can just like play whatever is is needed to be played and just do it perfectly. Um, if you haven't seen Babylon, see it just oh, for yeah. Margot. She's kind of like the next Brad Pitt where it's just like the net person who 
who like everyone wants to work with and can kind of step up to the plate. And like in Babylon, she like literally is the next Brad Pitt. Anyway, um, <laughs> but lesson number two, mini lesson is just, we, I've talked before about how references, especially in like Star Wars or Marvel, like I want them to be done in a way where if you don't know the reference, it doesn't matter. So like Barbie has this matrix the whole like matrix scene with Kate McKinnon where she's like, if you, if you take the Birkenstock, then you get to the, go to the room. And she's like, no, I want to take this. She's like, well, you don't really have a choice. You don't have to have seen the matrix to absolutely know that that's completely what that's referencing, but you do, uh, or, but it is. Um, and I think this movie is referencing being there, uh, in a moment where Peter Sellers leaves this house, a perfect world that he is, is in until the inciting incident, just like this movie. Um, and then when he leaves the house, it's playing, um, uh, the 2001 song, uh, also Sprock Zarathustra, but like with a hip hop beat. And that's, this movie obviously opens with a 2001 sequence. And then when Ken is doing his patriarchy thing, they're playing that version, I think, from being there. And I was like, oh my God, you just did the deepest cut ever that was like so for me. And no one needs to know that that was what you were referencing. It works so well there for that Century City montage when he's just yeah. taking in like the Hummer and the cops on right. horses. It's just right. so perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But to move on to my main lesson, uh, I had also get out in my uh, in my notes, as Alex was saying, and just to sum up my lesson in one sentence, it's sometimes the best way to make a movie about a thing is to just make it about the thing. Um, and we, when we talked about get out, we said, you know, there are horror movies where you say, oh, this person is running from this monster and that monster is a metaphor for parenthood or that monitor, whatever it is, right? Get out is like, no, it's just, it's just the thing. Like the thing the movie is about is also the thing that the characters are dealing with. Um, and that's what this movie is doing. This movie is about themes that the characters themselves are actually talking about and dealing with. And I think there's a version of this movie where the plot is just some random quest. You know, we all got that sinking feeling. It's like, oh, going to go to the real world, going to be fish out of water. The bad guys are going to be chasing. And the movie was like, nah, we don't, we're going to do that, but like only on in a very thin way. So there's a version of this movie where whatever the plot is, it's there. And then the themes are sort of being shoved in to like, oh yeah, the plot is this thing where they, you know, Barbie has to go get this, but like, we're going to really make a theme thing here that if you're paying attention, it's really kind of about this. No, this movie is just, we're going to talk about all of these things. And we are going to, because the movie is actually about those things and not just sort of a metaphor for those things. The characters can talk about these things and America Ferrara can have her big monologue about this. And Rhea Perlman can have her big monologue about this. And Barbie can have her big monologue about this because these are conflicts that the characters are actually dealing with. Um, so I think that what that allows you to do is one, what I just said, which is the characters can actually discuss the theme, which I love. I'm a sucker for a movie where the characters are just sort of pontificating and, and talking about whatever the movie is actually trying to be about. And two, I think as an audience, it allows us to, to sort of just relax and say, oh, this movie is just going to, this movie is just going to talk to us about this stuff. We don't have to be worrying that's going to be heavy handed or that it's going to be sort of like buried in metaphor. And of course, movies do that really well. Movies do metaphor really well. That's great. There's absolutely room for that. And some of the best movies of all time do all that, but there's something that makes me just sit back and relax as an audience when I go, oh, you are just going to have the characters talk about the thing your movie is actually about. And then I can just actually engage with that and actually pay attention and, and actually think about that. It allows me to move on to like, what's the next 
phase of thinking about all of this stuff rather than step one is what is the movie actually talking about? And then you can actually think about what, what that means, if that makes sense. That was yeah. me trying to be eloquent at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree that, yeah, I, like having an undetectable theme is worse than having a too obvious theme. Okay. And I think having an obvious theme and then really having an honest conversation about it with the movie, like that's, that's, that's great. Like that's what we want from stories. And so I think it's, yeah, this is me trying to eloquently agree with what you said. <laughs> <laughs> we have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, this is all related to my lesson, which is about narrators and breaking the fourth wall. Mm. And like one of the things I loved most about this movie is that it's under two hours long. And the reason that they were able to achieve this is because they took some shortcuts um, mm. to get to the the meat of the story, the themes and the character arcs as we're talking about. And one of those is that they put a narrator in it. Um, and it's Dame Helen Mir and she does a great job. The writing's really clever. But it just slices the amount of time that all of that expo expository information would take down to like 10% of what it would take if you were trying to do it without a narrator. And I'm not saying that's always the solution. It's very frequently not. However, in this case, it works really well because the movie is already playfully engaging with sort of this meta story and that, again, they're not going to really define the rules of it for us. There's that one moment where Helen Mirren's like, when girls are playing with Barbie, they don't walk them down the stairs and out the door. They just put them where they want them to go. And then she like floats down and gets in the car. Um, they do a, a tiny bit of it, but really it's mostly just like, here's what it is. Um, this is the plastic world that Barbie lives in. Everything's perfect. Barbie fixed it all. And there's mm. no need for feminism because women are empowered in the real world. That's all. And it takes, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. And that's all it takes because you're using this narrative shortcut to get there. Um, and again, I would rather the movie spend its time doing other things, right? All the nuance and complexity and the like beauty of the way that it uh, discusses these thematic ideas is well, is, is worth the time. Whereas that expository information is not. So let's just get through it. Now, there are other kinds of narrative shortcuts that you could take. Uh, this, I think, was absolutely the right call for it. I wonder, you know, I can almost see Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach sitting in front of a computer somewhere in their house, which I'm sure is really nice. Um, but, like, I could just see them going, like, oh, are we really going to write a narrator? Like, is there a better way to do this, you know, probably probably going back and forth with about 80 different ideas of how to do this and then just coming back at the simplest solution mm -hmm. of like, but wait, we want to do so much with this and we can't waste time doing all of this other stuff. And so brainstorming, I'm sure the brainstorming process happened and this was the most elegant solution that they arrived at, but doing the brainstorming process and then just picking the simplest solution is sometimes the right way to go. And it was absolutely the right way to go in Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that it's, I've said this before, that I love movies that just tell you it's a movie and don't yeah. like pretend like you're not right. watching a movie. If you do it like smart and well in this movie, tells you it's a movie 
It tells you how to watch it in that opening with that narration like you're talking about. And Lizzo. <laughs> and Lizzo. Just there singing about stuff. Yeah, that's right. happening on screen. It's using all these like yeah, cinematic tools to teach you how to watch it, to teach you enough rules that you understand kind of what's happening and why Barbie can fly. And just like, okay, cool. We got it. Let's go. And I, yeah, as you're saying, I think it's perfectly fine. You know, so many stories began with like once upon a time there was like it's okay for us to know that we're being told a story sometimes sometimes that makes us focus even more on the important things like the theme and the meaning and i think this is a great example of how to do that really well alex what's your list well i think it struck me on the second viewing was i've, I've said layered a lot in this conversation and the, uh, there's kind of a midpoint moment for barbie when she's in the mattel boardroom and she's given an opportunity to go back home and there's this device of the box like the the classic iconic barbie box and i think it's just a beautiful perfect moment that represents so much of what works in this movie which is greta gerwig like mining every bit of iconic imagery from this ip you know the box is the thing in all of our amc theaters that you can go stand in and take a picture in that box is iconic in this toy ip uh, but it's also called it's also a box. They're saying, Barbie, get back in the box, get in this mm -hmm. box. That's thematic right there. She's going into the box to get in the box. You have to do the toy thing where you like have handcuffs, literally like with the twist ties and her choice is to get out of those handcuffs and run out of the box and take a different path. And I just think everything that this movie does well is in that moment, which is it's fulfilling the obligations of being the Barbie movie which as a piece of IP has to have all of the Barbie imagery. And yet it is thematic. It is symbolic. It is a midpoint decision. It is everything. And it never comes back, which is like, there's never a point where someone has to get in a box. And we find out the magical thing that the box does, right? right? It's serving its thematic purpose. And it's like, you know, iconography as you're pointing out. And then it's immediately dismissed because narratively it doesn't matter as much as what it's doing in that scene particularly. Right, right. And that scene only works because that is a, a big decision and a, like a reversal of like what she wants. That scene would feel weird had you cut, for instance, the scene at the bus stop where we're seeing Barbie start to realize there's other things and there's, right. yeah, maybe she doesn't want to go home. And it's also very important in that scene to, to establish that she would assume, of course, the CEO of the Barbie company would be a woman. <laughs> right. And then to get the kind of like, she's being scolded by Will Ferrell's character at, you know, how dare you <laughs> even bring that up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm happy we got another Will Ferrell doing Will Ferrell in a way that like works. Like, cause I feel like Will Ferrell just does the Will Ferrell thing a lot of the time. And it worked for me in this movie. And that made like young me happy. Cause I, yeah. I loved Will Ferrell. The Matchbox 20 loving Michael loved the good Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell. Aww. So it's a nice little <laughs> callback. Michael. Yeah. I, I talked about this already, but the refusal of the call I just really loved in this movie and I'm still trying to kind of figure out why I like it so much when the protagonist really doesn't want to change. And I think it just, mm. it adds so much meaning to everything else that comes after. And so I, like, you know, we did the video on children of men and Logan, like both of those movies, like take a lot of care to be like, the protagonist does want, does not want to change, does not want to leave. Like I think having that build up to like, how tightly the protagonist is holding on to this 
idea of themselves is part of what makes the meaning of them ultimately letting go like powerful. And so don't make it too easy on your characters. And I think this kind of goes back to what I've been trying to figure out this season of like, why does it feel so easy when characters fly from the city to the city or now they just walk from that scene into the scene? Like it's all just too easy. And when things are easy, they're not meaningful. Mm. And I love that this movie doesn't make it easy for Barbie from the get go of like, of course you wouldn't want to change. Everything's perfect for you, but like you have to like, that's, I just love that out the gate, the movie goes that far with it. And so make things really hard for your characters, especially the idea of changing in the first place, because if it's not hard, then there's no meaning when they change. So that's my lesson. Mm -hmm. Although to, to be a little bit of a contrarian, they literally travel to like another dimension and it's pretty easy. (laughs) no it's like a a car to a jet ski (laughs) it all looks pretty fun (laughs) just do it again about in reverse oh okay (laughs) the i know you're being silly but i think it's the like the mechanics of moving from place to place isn't isn't ultimately what the thing is it's like of course yeah it's accepting what that means is like extremely difficult i like but but i mean to your point it was another thing where I was starting to get worried, like, oh, now we have to spend eight minutes just getting to the real world. And the movie was like, no, that's not interesting. That's not what the movie is about. So, like, let's actually get there, right? So it's like, it, it's exactly what we we're talking about, of like, make the things difficult that should be difficult. And then the things that aren't really actually, don't do movie things just because movie things are expected. Uh, mm-hmm. Do th- do focus on things when they're actually doing something thematic or doing, you know, interesting character work, interesting plot work, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And there's characterization happening during that yeah. whole travel montage. And it's, yeah. It's really, really good. Uh, good times. What else have you guys been watching? Alex, what have you been watching recently? So I went and saw Past Lives, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, it's the debut film from director uh, Celine Song. And it's just a beautiful mu- movie. It's just it's a simple, beautiful movie um, about a woman who immigrates to America as a child, had a childhood kind of sweetheart um, over in Korea. And... They reconnect many years later. She's now married. Um, so it's just a, it kind of has like a little bit of that. Yeah. Before sunset uh, feeling um, not, not the same kind of real time conversation thing, but just simple, beautiful movie about very real people just in and life. And I recommend it a lot. Past lives. Nice. Cool. Trisha, what have you been watching recently? Yeah, um, so I have another female-directed movie that I saw recently. Uh, It's a Jane Campion film that I'd been meaning to see for a while from 2003 called In the Cut. And if you don't know what that is, it's the Meg Ryan, Mark Ruffalo crime thriller, very R-rated crime thriller, where, uh, yeah, Meg Ryan plays like this very buttoned-up professor-ish teacher, tutor person um, who gets caught up in like, there's like a, spree of murders that's happening like in her neighborhood and Mark Ruffalo is the detective that's investigating them and they get like romantically involved. Um, But then there's like this very dark, dangerous undercurrent of like, who is the murderer? Um, Probably it's a character in the movie. (laughs) There's a lot of people are in this movie. Uh, It's a character from a different movie. (laughs) uh, Well, 
uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in it. Um, Kevin Bacon is in it. It's wild. Um, it's a really interesting film that I really dug. It was not well received at the time, um, but I think has been being uh, reevaluated now. And I, I really love Meg Ryan in it. And Mark Ruffalo's great as always. Um, yeah, it's a, a very dark flip side to Barbie about the relationships between men and women <laughs> and that involve some of the real life context, which is, you know, the old, uh, men are afraid that women will reject them and women are afraid that men will murder them. So gets into that in the cut from 03. I feel like I remember seeing trailers for that and it mm-hmm. looked really intense. Oh, it's, it's super intense, but I, I really dug it. So awesome. Cool. Brian, what have you been watching? Uh, on a, I think, a different tone and genre level, but on a similar plot level, I watched a pair of what I'm going to call slacker detective movies. Um, I love those. <laughs> I call them stoner detective movies, but yeah, they're great. Right. Uh, the first is uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, uh, mm. which is Melanie Linsky uh, has her house broken into and she goes on this sort of quest to find out who did it and recruits her weird neighbor, Elijah Wood. And it's just exactly the movie that you would think Elijah Wood would be in. It's just one of those like sort of like weird indie-ish kind of movies. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really entertaining, uh, and goes to some interesting places. Um, but then the second, it was under the silver lake, Mm -hmm. which is Andrew Garfield investigating a missing person and just running into weird thing after weird thing. It's one of those movies where the less, you know, the better going into it. Um, if you've read any Thomas Pynchon, like The Crying of Lot 49 or Inherit Vice, it feels absolutely like maybe someone made a better Thomas Pynchon movie than Paul Thomas Anderson did. Um, and uh, and I don't know if I even think the movie is good, but I think it's really fascinating and very strange. And I'm just down with movies that are that are bizarre and have like things that people are still unpacking about like, what does this mean? And what is that? And I think this is actually this and who is that character and all that kind of stuff. So just two very strange, uh, but, but very entertaining movies that are up my alley as someone who, as someone who likes those things. It's the director of it. It follows, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Under the silver lake. Yeah. 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 I loved it follows. Nice. Very cool. Michael. Yeah, so I'm just going to follow up on two series that were mentioned earlier because I've now completed them. Uh, Silo, I finished. Alex mentioned it way back when in our episode of The Last of Us. Silo had a great uh, pilot episode. It got not as great uh, and not as uh, fast-paced as time went on. Uh, But if you make it to the end... It did kind of like nail some cool vibes toward the end of that, the, the finale. So I just want to report back on that, that I'm, I'm probably going to watch season two because uh, I'm curious to see where that goes. So that's my thoughts on Silo. It is based on a book series. So like there is story. I was just feeling mid-season. You could probably speed up this existing story into less episodes. A little bit of that. Yeah. Stretch it so you can subscribe for more months. Um and then Black Mirror, I mentioned that I'd started that a couple uh, episodes ago. I've uh, since finished Black Mirror, and I was happy to report that like half of the episodes are like really Black Mirror-y and really fun. And there's one called Beyond the Sea uh, with Kate Mara and 
uh, Aaron Josh Paul Hartnett. and Josh Hartnett. And I was like, Josh Hartnett, what are you doing in the, this? But like, he was great. And like, the premise was like really interesting and cool. And then I saw Oppenheimer and I was like, Josh Hartnett, what are you doing? Josh Hartnett's back, back, baby. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's back and has like changed his body type somehow. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. Like, Did he get taller? Really yeah. into it. Whatever. Yeah, it is. I know. I, I'm super into it. <laughs> yeah. Black Mirror, especially Jonas Awful and Beyond the Sea uh, episodes, I really, really liked. So check those out. Some of the other ones you <laughs> They're like not about technology. So a lot of the other ones uh, mm-hmm. this season. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Two episodes that just really aren't Black Mirror. Yeah. There's a whole meta conversation to it. Like, what is Black Mirror really about? And if it's not about technology, is it a Black Mirror episode? What makes it a Black Mirror episode? Right. Like, should it be yep. about technology? And the technology changes. Like, can we I should talk about Black Mirror someday. Yeah, that could be fun. <laughs> We did an episode on that way back when. Okay. Well, we did it, guys. We're now here at the end of our Summer Impossible season. Uh, It's been quite a ride. Really fun. I'm glad we got to climax here with Barbie. Uh, This was, yeah, not going into this summer. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of like spider-verse and i had no idea like what i would feel about barbie and it's so cool to walk away from the summer season with like two of my new favorite movies having come out of this Mm -hmm. and like and dead reckoning was fun we were hard on it listen i saw it again and i loved it the second time because i knew exactly what it was and i just like enjoyed the hell out of it so, you know, all the weird, dumb AI stuff, whatever. The train was great. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Put it on the poster. Perfect. <laughs> that train was great. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, as a reminder, if you do want to hear our thoughts on Oppenheimer and share your thoughts on Oppenheimer, go to the Beyond Screenplay Patreon. And we're having a film club meeting with our top tier patrons August 12th. You guys, I have so many thoughts on Oppenheimer. Mm. I'm gonna, I gotta see it again before we talk about it because there's so Ooh. much. Thoughts will be had. Yeah. Thoughts will be shared. There are many of them. A certain club got bigger. You know, the, the things have happened. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, if you want to make sure you keep hearing new episodes from us, sign up for our two dollar tier of uh, Patreon, where we will continue to release patron exclusives leading up to our next upcoming season and if you want to be in the know and stay up to date with all of those details then you can join our patreon for free and we will give you updates and announce the plan uh, as we grow nearer to the launch of that that next season uh, i want to say thank you as always to the patrons that make this show possible you guys are awesome thank you for supporting us uh, thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Donovan Bullen, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. All of our X handles are in the show notes. What's it called? Twitter X? What the, I don't know what's happening. Send us a tweet and say hi. <laughs> or send us a, just an X. Or, yeah. <laughs> send Maybe, us a paper airplane. Or you thread <laughs> us instead. Uh, anyway, uh, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.